Welcome to the True Masculine Project. My name is Eric. I'm your host and fellow student on the path of masculinity. On this show, we will discuss personal development and masculine principles so we can be the best men that we can be. If you are new to the show, welcome, and you may want to head on over to the intro episode. Uh, describes the format and a little bit more about what we want to cover here. And for the rest of us, on to the show. Yo, and welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we are going to cover the lover. That is the last of the masculine archetypes that this book goes into. So we'll talk about how that connects to the other three, which are the king, warrior, magician. Just in case you haven't peeped the previous ones, you're going to want to go ahead and peep those because this is a series, ladies and gentlemen, hence the number on the end of the title. Anyway, uh, let's get started. So they start the chapter with a little bit of a historical context. Most civilizations either had a god or goddess of love, the erect phallus as the symbol for life force itself. Hell, the Washington Monument is uh, basically a giant phallic symbol. And we're not the first sort of culture to do this. The ancient Egyptians used a jet pillar to honor the god Osiris. Um, and the ancient Greeks had a god called Priapus, whose phallus was so large he had to carry it ahead of him in a wheelbarrow. Boy, was putting in work. But the lover covers more than just a sexual type of love. Um, it also covers brotherly love and love for the self, relating to yourself in a kind way and others in a kind way. Get more into this, but the other archetypes where we sort of draw this proper behavior from the king, the warrior, and the magician are all detached in the way that they interact with the world. Uh, the king wants to set his boundaries. Uh, he wants to preside and has things he wants to get done. Without the lover's influence, you may just do these things without regard for how um, it actually makes other people feel because you know that it might be the right thing to do. Not saying that you shouldn't enforce the boundary if the boundary is correct, but there are ways of doing things that will leave people happier even if the decision causes some pain. In the episode about the warrior, we talked about the lover being sort of a blunting force, helping you to reconnect with yourself so that you can connect with your family, turn that energy on and off as is necessary. And with the magician, that causes you to use your, uh, the skills that you gain through intellectual effort, the mastery of the weapons, the tools, which is the magician's domain, in a proper way, one that is going to benefit the highest number of people, not just in a way for you to use your intellect or whatever you have over other people as a way of ruling a way of enforcing control. From the book here, the lover is the archetype of play and of display, of healthy embodiment, of being in the world, of sensuous pleasure, and in one's own body without shame. And we talked about how the sexual organ or sex in nature gets shamed. This was also mentioned in the Iron John book, which is why you end up with a lame horse. The horse had three legs and he had to trade it in with Iron John, the mentor, for a full-bodied, four-legged horse, one without shame, one where he basically felt proud to do what he needed to do and didn't worry about the criticisms from others. We all get this from time to time. You just have to learn that uh, people are going to live their own lives and you're going to do what you're going to do and you can't make everybody happy. So at the very least, you should try to make yourself happy. Anyway, off the tangent and back to the book, uh, thus the lover is deeply sensual, sensually aware and sensitive to the physical world in all its splendor. The lover is related and connected to them all, drawn into them through his sensitivity. 
His sensitivity leads him to feel compassionately and empathetically united uh, with those around him. For the man accessing the lover, all things are bound to each other in mysterious ways. He sees, as we say, the world in a grain of sand. This is the consciousness that knew long before the invention of holography that we live in fact a holographic universe, one of which every part reflects every other in immediate and sympathetic union. It isn't just that the lover energy sees the world in a grain of sand, he feels that this is so. So not so disconnected in fact, it's the opposite of that, it's super connected to everything, which is why it needs to be joined with other sorts of things, uh, energies, ways of being, whatever you want to call it, habits, that when shit needs to get done might be a little less empathetic because sometimes shit sucks, but it still needs to be done. Now, um, but that type of feeling, that love, that enjoyment, frankly, of everyday life, a lot of us, or at least myself, we don't walk around with a, a joy, a connection. We spend so much time worrying about either A, managing an impression, or B, just life in general, that you just let it sort of float by without taking the time to realize that even though we may be fucking the planet up, when you go outside, it's still nice. That there may be some things you have to deal with, but there will always be things that you have to deal with. So to enjoy where you are at that time as much as possible is important for one. I mean, you're never going to want to get anywhere if you don't have any hope for the future. Because why continue to keep going if everything sucks all the time? But a lot of it just comes because we are so disconnected from being able to feel emotions. Maybe that you were told that uh, boys don't cry or whatever, which I will say, you can't be crying all the time. But there's a place to show emotions, to connect with other people. When you try to cut that part of yourself off, you're not going to honor it in other people. And sure, you may just never show emotion all the time. But it's going to be hard for you to connect uh, with a woman when she feels that maybe you are holding something back and you don't think that you are. You just have this wall up that exists because you don't allow yourself to feel the full depths of emotion. And if you can't feel it, you can't meet somebody else. And what I'm saying is, is that if you can't internally resonate with how that person is feeling at a time, there's just going to be a disconnect there, which could cause problems. The unfortunate state is that even if you have the emotional access of a puddle, you could probably uh, still have a lot of dude friends because most of us, frankly, don't allow ourselves to feel that much. But this is something that we should all sort of work on. Can't be crying all the time. Can't be emotional all the time. Things have to get done. But the level of disconnect that you see in most men from anything emotional is uh, sad, frankly. Back to the book here. Along with sensitivity to all inner and outer things comes passion. The lover's connectedness is not primary intellectual. It is through feeling, actual doing things, the experience itself. The primal hungers are felt passionately in all of us, at least beneath the surface. But the lover knows this with the deep knowing. The man under the influence of the lover wants to touch and be touched. He wants to touch everything physically and emotionally, and he wants to be touched by everything. He recognizes no boundaries. He wants to live out the connectedness he feels with the world inside in the context of his powerful feelings and outside in the context of his relationship with other people. Ultimately, he wants to experience the world of sensual experience in its totality. The lover energy arising as it does out of the Oedipal child, that's the boy version of the psychology, is also the source of spirituality, especially of what we call mysticism. In the mystical tradition, which underlies and is present in all the world's religions, the lover energy, through the mystics, intuits the ultimate oneness of all that is 
and actively seeks to experience that oneness in daily life, while it still dwells in a mortal, finite man. It goes on to talk about how, uh, with any sort of work or hobby that you may do, when you are accessing this type of energy, really bringing a type of enthusiasm to whatever it is that you are doing, that you feel a sense of completeness while working on whatever the project is. Now, it also talks about how the lover, in essence, wants to feel everything. So this goes with the good and the bad. Doesn't have a sense of, of boundaries and is frankly not a big fan of, of order, as it's called, the actual law. So the lover itself wants to sort of push boundaries. As the book states, the man under the influence of the lover does not want to stop at socially created boundaries. He stands against the artificiality of such things. His life is often unconventional and messy. The artist studio, the creative scholar study, you know uh, why they always say they're creative types, <laughs> need someone who's going to keep them on a schedule because they're just not about the type of ordering that we could do this and then do this and then do, do this, generally speaking. It's just rare to find um, an artistic talent that you know about who does not have a manager. It's rare that those two people are in the same body. Like, I'm an artist who actually manages myself well. You just don't see it that often. Back to the book here. Consequently, because he is opposed to law, in quotation marks, in the broad sense, we see enacted in, a, in his life of confrontation with the conventional, the old tension between sensuality and morality, between love and duty, between, as Joseph Campbell poetically describes it, amour and Roma. Amour standing for passionate experience and Roma standing for duty responsibility to law and order. The lover energy is thus utterly opposed, at least at first glance, to the other energies of the mature masculine. His interests are the opposite of the warriors, the magicians, and the king's concerns for boundaries, containment, order, and discipline. What is true within each man's psyche is true in the panorama of history and cultures as well. Now it takes some time to talk about the lover energy and how it interacts with religions both uh, currently around and ones that were major powers back in the day and how different cultures sort of interact with that gonna skip over it but pretty interesting if you want to check the book out the uh the culture things i've left out because this podcast would just continue on and on forever but the research they do into how these archetypes have been sort of displayed by people of the past is interesting and another side tangent for the dudes out there who uh, they get this sort of roadblock, as they call it in the pickup communities, where women will ask them, well, oh, well, why do you even like me? Like, because they uh, they've picked up some sort of player vibe and are shit testing you, as it were. If you can't make it seem that you aren't just going through the motions, and even if you have no plans of making a commitment to her, because frankly, you assume that she also wants one back, she has to know that she's not just a random vagina to you, and that could just be anyone that you at least give a little bit of a fuck about who she is personally. Like I said before, if you can't connect with yourself, it's going to be impossible to connect with someone else. People can feel this type of the wall that you have, and the only women that are going to respond to you are frankly going to be the ones with that same level of emotional depth. Whether or not you want that is really up to you, but you're limiting your choices here by not being able to uh, sort of dance and fill the room out. And now a brief word from one of our sponsors, Audible. Hey, so we have all heard that knowledge is power. So if knowledge is power, access and the ability to digest that knowledge is a superpower. Uh, however, not all of us have time 
to sit and read at the end of the day in our busy lives full of hustle and bustle. We are always on the move and in the middle of working long hours, trying to get things done, working on side projects, or frankly, just taking care of yourself and your family. You may not have time to sit down and read. And that's why I love Audible. Audible allows you to take advantage of those transition moments like the gym, like your drive to work, like cooking, to install new knowledge that you did not have before to help take you from where you are now to where you want to be. There are thousands of titles available on Audible, including bestsellers like Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is Away, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, and others. Start your 30-day trial today and your first book is free. Go to audibletrial.com slash podcast to get started. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-L.com slash true, T-R-U-E-M-P podcast. And now back to the show. Okay, so the shadow pose of the lover are no different from previous shadow pose. Uh, and they're called the addicted in the active side. And then you have the impotent lover in the passive side. Going directly from the book here, a man living in either pole of the lover's shadow like a man living in any of the shadow forms of the masculine energies, is possessed by the very energy that could be a source of life and well-being for him, if accessed appropriately. As long as he is possessed by the shadow lover, however, the energy works to his destruction and to the destruction of others around him. So, how does the addict possess a man, the active pole? The primary and most deeply disturbing characteristic of the shadow lover as addict is in his lostness, which shows up in a number of ways. A man possessed by the shadow lover becomes literally lost in an ocean of the senses, not just in sunsets or in reverie, but the slightest impressions from the outer world are enough to pull him off center. You have to be the source of your own stability. If every time the wind blows, either someone gives you a compliment or someone puts your shit down and it causes your whole entire day to either go good or bad, that is going to be a problem. Someone who functions that way is never in charge of getting their own things done because the slightest comment from someone that they don't even really give a fuck about is going to fuck up their whole entire day or, you know, the slightest compliment is going to make their whole entire day better. And while that is on the good side of this, having your emotional fulfillment rely on outside sourcing 100% of the time is a recipe for disaster and frankly, people pleasing behavior which nobody like and may the lord have mercy on your soul if you think that that people pleasing behavior is going to uh do you any good if you're going out and trying to improve your skills with women that's probably nothing less attractive than needy behavior or if any sort of slight thing that she says to you is going to throw you off your game entirely they check for that shit you need to be stable if she can rattle you with words, especially from someone that you just met, there's going to be zero faith there and that anything that comes at you externally, you're going to be able to handle. An easy one, and they have a few different stories in the book here, as the addict is literally the addict. Um, They talk about a dude who loved cars more than his income could afford and he ended up with nothing. The same thing about an artist who loves his art but also refuses to take care of his responsibilities and ends up out on the street. You have to uh, be able to balance these types of things. The lover in a shadow pole is not about balance at all. 
Um, and if you can't create stability for yourself, obviously you're going to have problems. From the book, this lostness shows up too in the way that the addict lives for the pleasure of the moment only and locks us into a web of immobility from which we cannot escape. Funnily enough, it seems that things that give pleasure immediately tend to have backlashes, downside, highs from drugs, drinking, you have hangovers, and the come down, depending on what you're taking, can be fucking terrible. Just same as chasing the high of a new relationship over and over and never sticking around because you feel that the chemical changes are <laughs> a symbol that you don't love them anymore, which really just means you're settling into a stable relationship and you have to take some effort to keep the passion going and it's not just going to run on the autopilot that uh, all relationships run on when you first meet somebody new that you like. The book puts it a little more poetic than that and that is what happens when we are caught in the fires of love roasting in the agony and the ecstasy of our own longings is that we are unable to disincarnate to step back to act we are unable to to as we say come to ourselves we are unable to detach and to gain distance from our feelings many are the lives that are ruined because people cannot extricate themselves from destructive marriages and relationships in his lostness within and without the victim of the active pole of the shadow lover is eternally restless this is the man who is always searching for something, but doesn't know what he's even looking for. Now here they take a dip into the monogamy slash promiscuity, which is a weird way to put it if everyone is understanding what's going on here and you're not lying to anybody. As far as not being able to connect with another person in a committed relationship as part of the addict of the lover. I disagree with that because you can set up boundaries and know what you want and what you're looking for in your life. You just need to make sure that these things are coming from healthy, not hurt places. If you are refusing to, let's say you made a, you meet a girl and you've been going like date, doing a lot of dating and you finally run into a girl who fits the criteria of what you're looking for, but you are afraid to sort of start a monogamous relationship with her. Because what if you get hurt again like you got hurt in the past? At that point, I'm going to agree that you're probably uh, in a shadow version of the lover's energy there. And you should probably take a look at uh, what is actually bothering you and why you, want to why you wouldn't commit to a woman or a man, you know, whatever's going on with you, uh, that fit the criteria of what you were looking for at that time. Now, if she doesn't, feel free to do whatever you want. But I will never knock dating around uh, to figure out what you like in a person, what you need from your relationships, because the only way you're going to finally settle down and pick a person is if you spend some time figuring out what you want in the first place. And serial monogamy, nine times out of 10, is not going to give you enough life experience to work that out. Because like you may, by the time you reach 30, you might have only had like two or three serious relationships or fuck the serious relationship part. You might have only even dated a few amount of women because every single time you date one, you just end up in a monogamous relationship off the jump. You're going to continue to have relationship problems until you figure out what it is that you like and then you're able to search for that thing. So long story short on this little section of the book, it talks about promiscuity as a symptom of someone attached to the lover. I'm going to say that dating around getting the experience that you need to uh, live your life the way that you want to in the future, especially if you're talking about someone who wants to get married to one person. You need to know what that person is going to look like because, frankly, people have to put up with your shit too. So you also have to find someone 
who wants the same things that you want. Now it moves on into porn next, and this is a fairly divisive topic in community. You've got dudes like NoFap, which if you haven't heard of that, is people who abstain from masturbation or watching porn entirely. My whole stance on porn is make sure that you are taking care of business first. If you're using porn as a way to not go out and meet women in person, you need to stop fucking watching porn and go out and meet women in person. Like that, the glow of the TV screen or the computer screen or your cell phone or whatever the fuck is only going to make you feel good in a short term, but there's no long-term intimacy with that. I also feel like dudes having these problems connecting is why all these OnlyFans fucking accounts make so much fucking money. And I'm not even hating on the hustle. But if you are getting the emotional connection that you need from a woman who you frankly will never meet because you are too afraid to go talk to women in person, that's a problem. And the older and the more stuck in your ways that gets, the longer it's going to be for you to get out of that and actually work yourself in the type of person who can have sex in person with an actual woman, not just virtually. If you are in a relationship and you would rather jack off all the time than go have sex with your girl, then really you need to determine like, if there's something going on, like it's either A, are you guys not investing enough time so that the sex stays good, right? Like we haven't sat down and talked about what we want because people are too embarrassed to basically say what they need out of any sort of sexual relationship. It starts to die because you no longer have the hormones running the let's make a baby let's make a baby portion and it takes effort now if the relationship sucks and you would rather watch porn than have sex with your girl because you hate her then you need to leave or talk to her about amending the terms that you guys came up with at the start of the relationship the point is don't use porn as a substitute for sex and emotional intimacy with uh real people and by real i mean motherfuckers you can see in real life now, obviously, if the problem is related to some sort of condition, whether mental or physical, and you guys are working things out, that's different. But if everything's fine, quote unquote, and you're still using porn as a substitute for your girl, then I'm going to say that at that point, it's an issue. You know, I don't have any religious hangups on that sort of stuff. So that's my opinion on that. Don't use it as a crutch. Anything else, fair game as far as I'm concerned. The book sort of summarizes its feelings on guys caught up in the porn trap is that they marvel at the beauty of the parts, but they can't experience a woman as a whole being physically or psychologically and certainly not as a unity of body and soul, a complete person with whom they could have an intimate human relationship. From the book, the psychologists talk about the problem that stems from a man's possession by the addict as boundary issues. For the man possessed by the addict, there are no boundaries. As we said, the lover does not want to be limited. and we are possessed by him, we cannot stand to be limited. Goes on to say that it stands opposed to boundaries, but boundaries constructed with heroic effort are what a man's possessed by the addict needs the most. He doesn't want more oneness with all things. He's already got too much of that. What he needs is distance and detachment. The lover in its shadow pole is born out of the Oedipal child in its shadow pole as the mama's boy. And if the mama's boy desire is to touch what it is forbidden to touch, that is the mother, and to cross boundaries that he regards as being artificial, ultimately the incest taboo, the addict arising as he does out of the mama's boy must learn about the usefulness of boundaries the hard way. 
you must learn that his lack of masculine structure, his lack of discipline, his resulting affairs, and his authority problems will inevitably get him into trouble. He'll be fired from jobs, and his wife, who loves him dearly, will eventually leave him. Boundaries are an act of love, and the problem with most men is that we need more masculinity, not less of it. More leadership, more appropriate risk-taking, more opinions, and real fucking opinions, not just some shit that you saw regurgitated on your favorite news board that fits the party line, some shit that you actually thought about. Like, be a real person with edges. They spend a lot of time uh, with the active pole, and they don't cover too much of the impotent lover because, frankly, there's not that much to talk about. If everything is gray, if you are just going through the emotions, if you don't feel connected to your life, to others in it, to the work that you do, to anything, um, you might be caught in this sort of trap, this level of detachment from your life. From their clinical standpoints, they were saying that people who are habitually possessed by the impotent lover are chronically depressed, can't get it up, literally, in some cases, for anything in life. So we end the shadow section of the lover with this. But it isn't just the lack of a vision that signifies the oppressive power of the impotent lover in a man's life. It is also the absence of an erect and eager penis. This man's sex life has gone stale. He is sexually inactive. Such sexual inactivity may stem from any number of factors. Boredom, lack of ecstasy with his mate, smoldering anger about his relationship, tension and stress on the job, money worries, or the sense of being emasculated by the feminine or by the other man in his life. In conjunction with the impotent lover, this man is either regressed into a pre-sexual boy or he is mainlining either the warrior or the magician or a combination of the three. His sexual and sensual sensitivity has been overwhelmed by his other concerns. As his sexual partner becomes more demanding, he withdraws even further into the passive pole of the lover's shadow. At this point, the opposite pole of the archetypal shadow may rescue, in quotes, him by propelling him into the addict's quest of the perfect satisfaction of his sexuality beyond the mundane world and of his primary relationship. So, what does accessing the lover in its fullness and its appropriateness look like? If we are appropriately accessing the lover but keeping our ego structure strong, we feel related, connected, alive, enthusiastic, compassionate, empathetic, energized, and romantic about our lives, our goals, our work, and our achievements. It is the lover properly accessed that gives us a sense of meaning. The lover keeps the other masculine energies humane, loving, and related to each other and to the real-life situations of human beings struggling in a difficult world. The king, the warrior, and the magician, as we've suggested, harmonize pretty well with each other. They do so because without the lover, they are all essentially detached from life. They need the lover to energize them, to humanize them, and to give them their ultimate purpose, love in all its many forms, brotherly or otherwise. They need the lover to keep them from becoming sadistic. The lover needs them as well. The lover without boundaries in his chaos of feeling and sensuality needs the king to define limits for him to give him some structure to order his chaos so that it can be channeled creatively. Without limits, the lover energy turns negative and destructive. The lover needs the warrior in order to be able to act decisively in order to detach with the clean cut of the sword from the web of immobilizing sensuality. The lover needs the warrior to destroy the golden temple which keeps him fixated 
and the lover needs the magician to help him back off from the ensnaring effects of his emotions in order to reflect, to get a more objective perspective on things, to disconnect enough at least to see the big picture and to experience the reality beneath the seeming. Tragically, the unrelenting attacks on our vitality and on our shining begin early in our lives. Many of us may have so repressed the lover in us that it has become very hard to feel passionate about anything. The trouble with most of us is not that we feel too much passion, but that we don't feel our passion at all. We don't feel our joy. We don't feel able to be alive and to live our lives the way we wanted to live them when we began. We may even think that the feelings, and in particular our feelings, are annoying encumbrances and inappropriate for a man. But let us not surrender our lives. Let us find the spontaneity and the joy of life inside ourselves. Then not only will we live our lives more abundantly, but we will enable others to live perhaps for the first time in their lives. And that, my friends, concludes The Lover, but does not conclude the series. I wanted to summarize the behaviors all in one episode of the different archetypes. So if you listen to it, maybe you can catch yourself when you start to lean one way or another and to the shadow sections of these ways of being, these habits, these behaviors that people display, whatever fuck you want to call it. So we'll do a summary episode to wrap up this book next week. Until then, I love you. Be good to each other. And I'll see you. Thank you for hanging out with me on the True Masculine Project. Please like, rate, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. Uh, If you want to interact with the show, you can catch us on Instagram at true, T-R-U-E-M-P underscore podcast. See you next time. Thank you.